If Red Pages podcast had a spirit animal, it'd probably be the hippopotamus. Why? Well, you'll just have to listen to this episode to find out. It is the 21st of February. This is episode 107 of Red Pages Podcast, the podcast where we talk about Red Pages. I'm Justin. I'm Gord. Gord, tell me about some Red Pages. Um, well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different shades of them. You can have like a, a red or a crimson or like a, a mauve. I guess that's more okay. purpley, really. How do they compare to like the yellow pages or the white pages? <laughs> Uh, well, you see... Uh, we don't the, talk about the blue pages. <laughs> the, the red pages are an index of video game developers that were sort of building in audio format. Okay, so, you know, video game developers like S.A. Hunt or Andy Weir. <laughs> <laughs> or third person that wasn't a game developer that was a cast. Or uh, uh, if you get enough of them together, you can uh, accidentally let... Some jerk out of his prison. And, uh, he replaces you, and then presumably goes and does some bad things. No, no, you can't. You need a. You need an incredibly sp- extra spicy chili pizza to unlock that particular door. That's a really deep pull. One listener will understand that <laughs> and understand what it's from and think it's hilarious. This pizza needs more toppings. No, that is a different pizza-based <laughs> video game joke. Uh, I was referring to. Lego Island, where you deliver a pizza to the Brickster. (laughs) Yeah, because the pizza's so hot. Yep, good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Somebody on Reddit was talking about how that was his introduction to video games. And he got the bad (laughs) ending at like, you know, six years old or whatever. And he thought that was it. He thought that he just ruined that entire world forever and that that there was no no going back from that. I don't think that you could get a bad ending in that game. Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's the one where uh you just don't catch the brickster yeah and he like lights everything on fire and disassembles everything and the the alfred stand-in is like well everything's terrible you mean the brickomaniac yeah i had a uh a minifig keychain of uh the brickster i don't know where it went before that was like the only way you could get the the brickster as a minifig too i think the event eventually they just put him in a set but for like 10 years the keychain that came with the first print of the game was the only way you could get that minifig. Mm. And he, of course, had a giant keychain coming out of the top of his head, so <laughs> it's not like you could use him in anything. Unless you broke it. Somebody did a, uh, somebody's got a display up of the entirety of Lego Island recreated in Lego. <sighs> Man, that was a good, it was a good game. So was Lego Island 2, except for on PC it had five minute loading times anytime there was a loading screen. Hmm. That was bad. Anyway, so uh, let's let's talk about the haps. Yeah. What are the haps? What what are the haps? What are the what are the haps? What's what's going on? No, people don't really talk like that. The, what? Huh? Remember that episode of Gilmore Girls where you said, uh, <laughs> "Man, nobody says what are the haps," and then Lorelai said, "Tell me what the haps are," <laughs> and I said, "See." 
I think maybe people don't talk like that where you come from. Well, that's not even true. You're from Canada, and Dinosaur Comics, also written by a Canadian, uses what are the haps on its website in very large, bold text. So I think maybe (laughs) you're wrong. There are only like 25 people in Canada, so it can't be that regionally diverse. That is true. What are the haps, my friends? Dinosaur Comics. Mints. See? So tell me what's, what's going on. Uh, well, um, basically I read a couple of books. Um, okay. Other than that, things weren't super uneventful. You consumed some literature. Uh, yes. Oh, my son had his first haircut at uh, three years. And huh. he was not Was his hair just incredibly long? No, uh, it, it's, uh, it's really curly, so it's been growing slowly. He was bald for a year and a half. Mm. And now it's just... Uh, it, uh, it knots up really terribly. Okay, so once he goes bald as an old man, he'll just be like, well, I've been through this already. I don't need to, I don't need to feel self-conscious about it. Yeah. Well, we didn't, like, we didn't take it all the way down. That's, uh... But, I mean, he sp- you said he spent a year and a half bald oh, already. Yeah. So. Yeah, he didn't, uh, I don't think he was registering any of those memories yet, though. So, your mileage may vary. Okay. He'll have, he'll, you'll have the photographs to remember him by. <laughs> you know, once once he's bald, and thus you can't talk to him anymore. <laughs> I read uh, I read two books by Aaron Bow. Uh, I read one, and I am reading the other one. Uh, I read Plain Kate, which was very good, but I think that's earlier in her bibliography. Um, I think like in uh, the... Uh, the writing in Scorpion Rule is just like fantastic and always on and just riddled with these marvelous metaphors. Um, I think that this is like, you can read this and tell that it is, that the, this author is going to reach that point at some point. Um, Metaphors like what? Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to communicate it without you just reading the book. I, I was mostly setting you up for a joke because I said, uh, like what sort of metaphor and then you would say and i'd say no that's a simile because it uses like a metaphor uh uses is i just wanted to make sure that that joke got out so glad yeah Uh, there's one part where uh talus this omniscient ai in human form looks at another character like a weapons targeting platform like glaring um and focusing which is a really compelling metaphor, but also, like, there was also just countless weapons, uh, orbital weapons platforms, uh, also focusing on the scene at the time. Uh, so it's it, it also served as a reminder and uh, a way to fill out the setting a little more, I guess. And, like, just completely full of very sharp metaphor. Okay. Yep, and now I'm reading Sorrow's Knot, which is also a pre-Scorpion Rules book by Aaron Bow. Yeah, so far it's good, but I'm like a chapter and a half in. So how about you, Justin? What are the what are your haps? Well, they filmed a television show at my house oh, yeah. uh, last Friday. It's called I guess it was just one episode. It's called Someday She'll Darken. And it's a it's a TNT show. I don't I don't know what it's gonna be on. It's directed, I think, by Patty Jenkins, who did Wonder Woman. And cool. pretty sure I met her. And just didn't know who she was, but I googled an image of her after, and I was like, "Wait, I did meet the woman who 
made Wonder Woman. She was just in walking around our house. Wow. When, and I figured that she was some, like, you know, s- scout come to see the location. But I guess you would want the director to know what it looks like ahead of time to decide if they wanted to use it or not. So hindsight, it makes sense. But mm. I, I just presumed that she was a, a low-tier peon <laughs> because she was just here by herself. Um, or, you know, it could have been that it was just a woman who looked a lot like her. That's also possible. Uh, I mean, wh- but wh- it's why about... wouldn't you just hire a bunch of people who look exactly like you? Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah. <laughs> So it's about, uh, I guess it's based on a, a book or a memoir or something like that about the Black Dahlia killer. Mm. And so our house uh, was entirely filled with people. There were 70 people here. Uh, and there were all these plants and foliage that they brought because it was standing in for a house in the Philippines. Mm. How many of those people have told you to get your feet off the couch? None of them told me to get my feet <laughs> off the couch. Although one of them asked if I lived here. Because if I didn't, he wouldn't want me to be sitting on the couch with my legs crossed, thus having feet on the couch. <laughs> and then uh, another person asked me to please get off the couch because she wanted to see what it looked like. Uh. So as it turned out, I did not end up sitting on the couch for that long. But I did eat a lot of good craft services food because they just set up a, a buffet outside in our backyard for all of the staff. So nice. it, was, it was worth it, clearly. Uh, I've also, I watched some, some anime. I watched two contrasting series, one of which I liked and one of which I could have done without. Huh. Uh, so I'm seven episodes into the Junji Ito collection. I am a, a large fan of Junji Ito as a, a manga creator. I've read a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much just straight adaptations of the one-shot comics that he's done, all of the little horror stories. I don't think any of them are as good as the actual manga because a lot of them, unless they're ones that are like four or five pages long where it's much more of a mood thing than having any real narrative. Not that even his narratives are particularly conclusive a lot of the time. <laughs> or but they, they, they condense stuff to make it fit within the time. And the, stu- the way they do it is smart. Like It doesn't remove coherency from the thing, but... It, it just feels a lot better as a manga. That said, I really enjoy it. It's very good. I think it's pretty polarizing from episode to episode. Some people really like it, and some people think a lot of it is boring. Hmm. I think that that is a function of Junji Ito. Like, a lot his stuff, any individual story. And this is just true of horror, I guess as a genre, maybe even more than other genres is going to either land for you or not. Because unlike, say, fantasy, you know, you could have good fantasy and bad fantasy and mediocre fantasy. But horror is, like, specifically designed to evoke fear as an emotion, or, like, unsettle you, which is a much more primal base thing. And so if it doesn't work, you're just completely turned off by it. I mean, just like, what is what is this doing? There's always the secondary target, which is people who watch horror movies to laugh at them. Uh, this is these aren't movies though, yeah. and these are these are comics. And so much of what he does is in his art, not in his writing. Mm. Like, uh, how do they how do they capture the art style? Oh, it it looks exactly the same. I mean, it's all in color, obviously, hmm. instead of in black and white like the manga. 
but it it is all immediately obvious that it's his style. I, you know, he's not hand animating every single episode himself. But if you were to see a still of it, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's a Junji Ito thing. That's good. Yep. Uh, I also watched all of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Cool. And so this is a show that was 13 episodes too long. Yep. Should, should have been half as long. Yep. They should have condensed the first 13 episodes, I think, down into three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. And then stuck the last six episodes on the end, and it would have been better. Hmm. Except uh, for the ending, I, I The agree ending was great. I loved the ending. The ending was by far the best part. Uh, if you didn't like the ending, I don't recommend watching season <laughs> three of Twin Peaks. Because it's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. It's it it. It's not just like deliberately, almost antagonistically denying you any kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, closure. It 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 felt like it had closure and a complete story arc to me. Mm-hmm. Like I could, it felt like if you had paid attention throughout the throughout the series to what the angel villains were doing in the fights like what what their techniques that they used to fight the evangelians were then the conclusion made perfect sense because it was very much evocative of that foreshadowing mm-hmm. so it felt very straightforward to me it was presented abstractly like it wasn't very just much so. a series of narrative events but it felt clear to me what the events that were being depicted were hmm. and i don't know it felt to me like complaints of like i don't know what happened here came out of people who either didn't pay attention or don't have as much experience analyzing like abstract narrative work as i do and i don't know it, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle but like <laughs> I felt maybe I'm just like really uniquely qualified to just understand because I got all the references and I understand like I've I've got the background and, uh, for the religious imagery and I understand how metaphor works and how symbolism functions within a narrative. I don't I don't know. Mm. Well, as far as the uh, condensing goes, that is precisely what the rebuilds are. Yeah, I think that they they should have cut. There were 13 fights in this series. They sh- there should have been, like, four. Yep. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's exactly what they do in the movies. There are... Uh... So all of those episodes fit into two feature-length movies. Uh, and then there is one movie that takes place after the fact. And then now we're waiting on number four. Although somebody told me I should watch the end of Evangelion movie, which I guess happens before the last two episodes. Hmm. And I don't, I understand, that's, that's before the rebuilds, I guess, came out. Yeah. Since it was like a year, but I feel like any attempt to alter the ending of this thing would make it worse, in my opinion. So I'm very hesitant to watch anything that like makes what's going on more explicit or clear. Well, watch the rebuilds and uh, compare. Well, anyway, I watched this uh, as a precursor to a playthrough of Xenogears, which is directly inspired by and 
very much ties to this, both having the same sort of story. I'll, cool. I'll be playing through that and report back eventually once I play through all 100 hours or how <laughs> long it is. I wonder if there are any uh, uh, graphical or interface mods for Xenogears. Like, you'd have to... Xenogears still looks good. Why would you need to uh, mod, mod it? It's it's one of the few PS One games that still looks good because it's sprite based. No, 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 it's not. No. Are you thinking of a different game? No. Uh, I mean, so you're moving around in three D environments, but right. a lot of the dudes, maybe they're like Donkey Kong Country rotoscoped things. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of it is looks like sprites to me. I don't know. It's sprites, all but it's the... got a bunch of weird, like, uh, what, what, how, do you, how do you say? Did they do a bunch of non-pixel-based animations? Like, you'll zoom into or out of or have weird rotations on sprites that don't, don't fit into the... So, Chrono Cross does that. No, Chrono Cross is also uh, all polygons. Yeah, but Chrono Cross does that, like, weird angle thing. Like, it's all a fixed camera thing. Anyway, we should talk about this in the game section. <laughs> right. And I, I read a short story by Harlan Ellison called Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. Mm. And it is a satirical dystopian story about a world where the dystopia manifests such that everybody is required to be punctual all the time. And if you are ever late for anything... The, the one of the government agents who is the TikTok man, he, he has a like an ID card for every citizen in the uh, in the country, and it's connected directly to their heart. And oh, just can, like uh, the Dune movie. Uh, kind of. <laughs> so he can manipulate it so that if you're late, then you have the amount of time that you are late subtracted from the end of your life. Hmm. So, eventually, if you're just constantly late, you'll get a letter in the mail that's like, sorry, you're going to be retired in the next <laughs> two days. Please get your affairs in order. And then your heart will just stop. He'll, he'll press on the heart panel, and you'll just die, no matter where you are. You, he'll pull your uh, like, heart plug. Yeah, yeah, basically. Only he can do it remotely, and there's no way to escape it. Like, there, one of, there's a guy in the story who runs 200 miles away and hides out in a forest, and he just still falls over and dead. <laughs> doesn't matter where you are. Uh, so that's that's the setup. And this Harlequin appears and just, he's, you know, nobody knows who he is because he's dressed up like a clown. And all he does is prank people trying to make them late all the time. Like entire <laughs> government agencies, like he dumps thousands of jelly beans into a factory, which clogs up all the machinery and everybody is late and Jeez. it throws off the entire system. And like, they're not going to punish all of those people because it was the Harlequin not them that made everything late but uh it's very funny because the the society hasn't manufactured jelly beans in a hundred years so where did he get a hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> worth of jelly beans uh and it's it's really short it's only i don't know it's like 10 or 12 pages maybe and it ends with him uh getting captured and literally in the story it says he was re-educated like in 1984 <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's a parody, so it's it's very funny, and I would recommend it if you have a small amount of time. It's not the story where the plot is important so much as like 
the the jokes in the text are funny. Mm. Um, and you know, Harlan Ellison's a pretty good writer. He knows he knows how to make a good science fiction idea. He has no mouth, and he's yet he screams. <laughs> Um, and then I, uh, I don't know when this is going to be available, but I did uh, three guest episodes of the podcast Lightning Strikes Thrice, which is a podcast about Final Fantasy XIII as a, as a trilogy. Hmm. So uh, I covered chapters, I think, nah, 10 and 11. So whenever that comes out, you can listen to that. You can listen to me basically talk about why Final Fantasy XIII is a good game, despite what my hosts, what, my, what the co-hosts <laughs> of that show think. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for me. Other than that, I played some games, yep. uh, taught some classes. Learned my, some my stuff students, about Egypt. My students, yeah, my students turned in their second papers, which means they're halfway through the semester already. I don't know where time goes. I mean, I know where I, this time time flies like a banana, right? That's what Groucho <laughs> Marx said. Anyway, you want to talk about some games? Yep, let's talk about some games. All right, let's talk about some games. So I played some games. I played Fire Emblem Awakening, which I talked about on the last episode, but I have now completed. I found it very dissatisfying. Hmm. I think it's a great game if you've never played a Fire Emblem game. As a as a, a Fire Emblem veteran at this point, coming back to it, it felt incredibly easy. I literally deployed two units every fight. Like I just ignored the fact that you could deploy an entire army because I had two units that were more effective as a duo than an entire army. Because if I had an entire army, it meant the computer would sometimes target the weaker characters and maybe kill them. Hmm. But if I just deployed the two main characters. They were so super powered that until the post game DLC, it was foolish of me to use anyone but just those two. And if I really wanted to grind up other characters, I could do that DLC, but it's just not worth it. Like it, it would take more time or effort than I care to because I wasn't really enjoying the game. Um, that said, production value is pretty good. Cutscenes are good. I like how, where it takes place within like the larger Fire Emblem series story mm-hmm. and i would definitely recommend it if you like if if you're a new person to the franchise because i think it's really gentle like it's it's just very friendly it makes the game easy and i, I definitely understand why it's the best selling game in the franchise because the bar to success is so low in comparison to the others <laughs> but it just was not it was not for me i think um and I played Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp Fair, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, which I started, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, years ago, because I started it in 2016. And uh, Since I don't actually have time to play long video games through very mm-hmm. often, I've been slowly chipping through a chapter at a time. And I finished it. It is a, so for those who, who are not familiar with it, it is a... JRPG where that crosses over the Shin Megami Tensei and Fire Emblem games. It is very much a Shin Megami Tensei game in terms of how it plays. You, the closest thing I can compare it to is uh, a Persona game, but your personas are the Fire Emblem characters instead of various mythological creatures. Or, if that doesn't mean anything to you, uh, if you know the comic Shaman King. I don't know, Gord, do you know Shaman King? 
Um, I enough to recognize the main character, but that's about it. It's a black-haired uh, Yu-Gi-Oh protagonist. Kinda. <laughs> so, but I meant more the premise of it. No. So you have your your teens in Japan, and they have a partner spirit, and they merge with that spirit to create a combat form. All right. That's what this. That's what this game is. You have one. Your your teens that are all members of a performing sort of entertainment company. You've got idols. You've got actors. You've got uh, singers and dancers. You know, you're, it's Japanese entertainment industry stuff, and the villains are after a mysterious, like mystical power that is possessed by artists called Performa which they use to empower themselves and they leech out of creative people. And so by day you're a Japanese pop idol and by night you merge with your fire emblem character partner to fight these mirages they're called in a parallel dimension where they are plotting to revive an ancient evil dragon. Cool. So this, this game is absurd. <laughs> As somebody who, like, is very much not into uh, weeb trash, I felt very hesitant to You just to watched play it. all of Evangelion. I know, but I watched it as context <laughs> for playing a video game with my brother. Um, who, so, I'm, my goal is to play through uh, Xenogears with my brother, who is a huge Xeno series fan. I have not really played any of them, other than a couple minutes of the one on the Wii U. But he has spent literally hundreds of hours, but he's never played the original. Ah. So I was I was uh, watching it as part of a preparation for a family activity. I think that he is going to be. Hmm. He loves PlayStation One RPGs, so he'll surprised. be surprised. Okay. No, he yeah. I think Final Fantasy Nine might be his favorite game. Okay. And he let like Chrono Trigger, which I guess that's Super Nintendo, but. It, he he is very much a JRPG person, so I think think he'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, this so th this game definitely won me over, despite just being maybe the epitome of weeb trash, because it is really well designed. It helps that I knew a bunch of the characters already from Fire Emblem, and it's just really happy. Like even even when it's like the situation is dire, the visuals are really bright and colorful, and everybody is friends with each other and having a good time. I like how the characters interact with each other in combat. Tag like they tag each other out and they call out to each other. It's it's just very uh, satisfying. the opposite of Dark Souls. It's, they're so far apart <laughs> that, I, that it's hard to say it's the opposite. Like, they have very, very little in common. Mm. Um, it's weird that this game is canon to the Fire Emblem franchise. Like, it exists within the larger universe of Fire Emblem, canonically, which oh. does, baffles Does Tokyo me. exist in Fire Emblem? So, Fire Emblem takes place... There are a couple... So, most Fire Emblem games take place within the same universe over a couple hundred years, or thousands, of, you know, there's a long time span, but stuff reoccurs, and sometimes, like, some characters even show up across games, even if it's thousands of years, like, because they're Like a Zelda game, or like time. they just... What? Like a Zelda game, where 
there's always going to be a, a hero of time and a no like literally and the character tiki from fire emblem the original shows up in awakening because she's a, a dragon and she just is three thousand years old ah. like literally there are characters that are the same and reoccur there are archetype characters that often reoccur as well but they're like not explicitly the same person in mm. the same way that's some that the dragons are but there are a couple other not universes there are, that are unrelated but all of the Fire Emblem worlds, despite taking place in different universes, are linked through this meta thing called the Outrealms, which contain all of the various universes and, like, alternate timelines for them. And so sometimes you'll get characters from one universe that go through a portal into the other one, and this is just, like one of those Outrealm portals that goes to modern-day Tokyo, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was... It was a really weird... I was just like... I, they revealed that really casually. And I was like, weird. Why Why would they do that? <laughs> I, I'm digging it. I like that Tokyo exists within, like, the Fire Emblem meta-universe. But I, it's a weird creative choice. That's how they... That's how they, um, exp like, justify the... the the mobile game where you can have like five of the same character in your party hmm. because they're all different timeline versions of that character. Yeah, like how do you have Mario and Baby Mario driving the same cart? Yep. But and they and in the mobile game they actually do things like oh this this is a this is this character but it's from a version of the U timeline where these events occurred instead, which hmm. is why they have this weapon and this move set. So, it's it's a game that the more invested in the franchise you are, the more you get out of it. Anyway, this game is good. I would recommend it to anybody with a Wii U, which is a population of 26 people. So, <laughs> and I don't think it's going to get a Switch port, even though I think it would do way better on Switch than it did on Wii U. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's sold very well in any region. And Atlas has got its hands full with various other projects right now and they only kind of have one big project at a time and it uses the two screens of the wii u really heavily so you'd have to completely redesign the whole mm. interface so this this may be a, a a gem that is lost to a console that did not succeed and that's a shame but if you're like me and you just own every product that nintendo puts out <laughs> You could enjoy weird niche titles like Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Sharp Fee. Uh, I played uh, Final Fantasy X a little bit more. I was, I was catching up on games that I started years ago. I've almost reached the end, but it was interesting to play alongside with the 13 podcast because 10 and 13 are very similar. They're just combat hallways, except for 13 is way more fun. Hmm. And it is weird to me. I find it weird that people really criticized 13 for that, and people say 10 is one of the best ones. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just because 10 was, like, their first modern visual-ish Final Fantasy. Like, it was on PS2, it just looked way better. It had CGI cutscenes that looked good. And I think, I don't know if it was... Much like Final Fantasy VII, people were like, oh, it's the best one, because it was, like, the first 3D JRPG they ever played. So they had a lot of nostalgia for it. I don't know what's going on with 10. I think 10 is really bad. I'm going to finish it because I want to play 10 too, as I'm told that that one is really good. <laughs> but 
it's a slog, man. This, I, f I would find it very hard to recommend this game to anybody. Um, uh, I also played a couple minutes of the, the Final Fantasy XV Pocket Edition, which is the mobile port of that game. Mm -hmm. It is definitely not the best way to play it, no. if you have access to the other one, but it's really impressive, and it, it is Final Fantasy XV running on your phone, and it's free, so... If you're interested in that game, check it out. It'll cost you nothing. Is it really free? Well, the first the first chapter is free, so it's a couple hours, and then you can buy the rest of the game. Mm. So yeah, it is it is free to much like Super Mario Run. It is free to start. Yeah, but like Super Mario Run, you can get all you get through all of the free content in fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, you can spend a lot more time in Final Fantasy. So I also played uh, Assassin's Creed Origins Discovery Tour. Yep, I, uh, a, a, you streamed that for a bit, and that looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's really good. It is... I'm going to say it's not a video game. I'm going to say it is basically like a, watching a documentary or listening to a podcast about ancient Egypt, but occasionally you have to hit the stick to move your guy from one uh, sort of node to the next because the nodes are tied to specific visuals yes but it's in the game engine right and like... yes it takes place entirely inside the full world of assassin's creed origins that they made for the game so you could play it as a game just to explore the space like a walking simulator but that is not like the intended well like it was intended that you could experience it was intended yeah, they that, intended you, that the, you could do the it. nodes in any order or Yep. Go back and revisit some stuff or But there's no there's no like gameplay driving the experience. It's just uh wheeling the guy around, listening to the narrators. And there are like nine hours of narration. It's a lot of uh information about the actual historical context that they researched to make this video game. I wish I could do it in VR. I feel like that would make it a lot better which mm. is not something that I feel about a lot of video games, but this game doesn't even have a first-person mode, let alone VR support. Hmm. Um, and I guess it was designed for I... classrooms. They consulted with teachers to, to make it. VR doesn't need to be first-person, right? Like, you could very easily just have the camera position be the same and yeah, have the a controller in your like hand and then the just, like, shoulder. you're just always over this guy's shoulder. Yeah, that would, I think, be pointless. Hmm. I think VR needs to be first-person to be interesting, or, like, to, to, to work. But you could still, like, take that vantage point and look in any direction. No, because it's tied to your dude. The camera's tied to your dude, well, like, not, to, not to yourself, not to your head. But, I mean, that's where the, the camera exists in the game space, right? No, it, especially when you're, like, looking at a lesson, it's locked to a very small area. You can't just free-pan it. So I don't think it would work very well. That, like, I'm saying that I think that that would be a fairly minor change and they could just make the, it so that you could free look. Yeah, they could redesign their camera system. But that's not... My point is, like, the game does not have any way of doing this mm. effectively right now. Uh, so yeah, that's what I played. Everything that uh, except for the assignment. What about you? Uh, I played a uh, another last phone. Laura's story. Which is a, a cool take on sort of like a an escape room experience. 
except uh, the the narrative is that you've just picked up somebody's phone and now your phone is that phone. And you can go through their uh, their contacts and their calendar and their um, text message history. Um, there's, there's a little warning in the beginning. It's like, yeah, we don't we don't actually condone doing this if you find somebody's phone because that's weird. But within the context of it being a video game, it uh, it's mar marginally less weird. Uh, so there's uh, there's this character that you're getting to know, and uh, you're uh, sort of building a, a a picture of all of her relationships, and uh, uh, I don't know uh, life really. Um, and uh, a narrative builds up as you go. And then you find out that there's a bunch more, uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff on the phone that's locked behind a, uh, a password, uh, which has a security feature that uh, makes you prove that you're actually Laura, uh, which you can do uh, pretty trivially just by going through all of this stuff and uh, doing a bit of logic um, and then uh, the phone believes that you're that person and you get uh, the next third of the story and then you can page through that and then uh, there's, there's I, th I think it's essentially just three big dumps uh, but uh, I really like the focus on uh, building these interfaces like uh, uh, like real, uh, real usable interfaces. That's that's uh that's just a thing that I really like. Like, uh, I'm I'm a person who will pause a show to see what's going on on the computer screen that's in the shot for three frames. Um, and like, whenever there's a focus in a movie or a show about uh, uh, a user interface, I like seeing what they came up with. And, uh, and the story is pretty good too, um, as far as, you know, like, uh, non-linear narratives go. Um, it's cool. I think there, I think there's only the one ending, um, but there, <laughs> there is a way that there could be also a bad ending, but I don't know if you're allowed to do that. I'm, uh, I, it's out of character for me, so I, it's not something that I would try, I guess, but I can see how that would go. Uh, I played some more Slay the Spire. Uh, I, I think I talked about this last time. It's like a procedurally generated deck builder combat RPG game. And I played zero minutes of Neo. I, <laughs> I, uh, I figured what I was doing at the time, but I wasn't able to dedicate my full attention to it, so I Pulled it up, changed the graphic settings in the menu, uh, watched the little menu animation, and then shut it down again. Probably I'll play some more of that at some point. I mean, you, when you say some more, you mean any of? Yeah, any of. I mean, you know, I, I got to experience the menu. That's a thing. Like, yeah, but that's not playing the game. Like, th you haven't played anything. No. I hate to tell you, booting up a, a, a piece <laughs> of software is not playing a video game. Mm. Yeah, not even like uh, Microsoft Excel. Microsoft Excel, depending on the version, contains a video game. Yeah, there's an entire flight simulator in there. Uh, one other game that I played was Slime Rancher, which is uh, charming. 
it's a uh, it's kind of like a it it's it's a harvest moon it's a first person harvest moon with a bunch of polygons uh and uh all of the wildlife is these adorable slimes that are i think just like i, I don't think that i don't I, I don't i don't think this is an insult to say that these are very heavily influenced by the uh the slimes from dragon quest and this is like this blobby thing with uh these big dopey eyes and uh, a giant smiling mouth um and uh there's the uh there's the the typical cycle where you go out collect resources bring them back craft them into uh, re refine them into uh the, the the resource that you sell um and you've got your crops that you can grow and you can i guess you can farm chickens too um, and then there's a bunch of different kinds of slime, uh, and, uh, you can combine them and feed them and y use their poop to make science or just sell. And there's a, there's a pretty neat, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, market exchange where, uh, if you do nothing but sell the same thing every day in large volumes, uh, the market gets flooded with that and it uh, progressively gets less valuable for you to do that. So then you'd, uh, you know, presumably you'd move on to uh, a different resource, which is more valuable at that point. Um, some of the stuff, some of the progression stuff feels a little weird, but that might just be because the game is so open that I just, my, my own play style, uh, Sort of took me in a route around them. Uh, like one of the one of the systems is like, okay, now go spend twenty hours doing grind, grinding this one resource to open a new area that makes the uh, start to mid game easier. But like, I'm already deep into the end game, and I don't I don't feel like that is really worth my time gameplay wise. And you know, there's a point where like. You you're just doing the same three times. Uh, you're doing the three the same three actions uh, every in-game day, and uh, just making numbers bigger. Uh, there is a surprisingly compelling narrative uh, for a game that doesn't have any characters in it. <laughs> there's uh, there's the character that you play, who has this voice, but you don't really ever hear it. You just see. Um, you get this email chain um, and you only see the other person's side of it and they're replying to things that you're... Anyway, uh, and then there's this, there's a bunch of notes that the, your predecessor left you and they weave a surprisingly compelling story through that and I respect that. I suspect that they, that they had to narrow the scope of the game at a certain point. Like, there are uh, there's a bunch of character design graphically, and the main character is a uh, there's a whole 3D model, but there's no you don't ever see that in the game except for in the menu. Uh, so I suspect that like uh, that at one point in development there were going to be a whole bunch of characters that you go around and talk to, uh, but. Um, Instead, it is just a sequence of emails that you read 
It's cute. I played a whole bunch of it in a concentrated amount of time. Uh, I think I think I'm just done now. I might pop in for the patches. There there are uh, significant gameplay patches coming every couple of months or so. So that's cool. I enjoyed it. Uh, thumbs up. Yeah. Aside from the assignment, uh, which I played a bunch of, that's it. All right. Well wanna, then, let's talk, talk about, about that assignment. Did you end up playing any more of it? Uh, I tried to, so I played. Yeah, I played some of it, and then I went back to play more of it, but I could not because the shared library was in use. Ha! Well, that's so, a shame. Yeah, but I. Uh, I mean, as you said, like even five minutes of play of this like tells you everything you need to know about it as a game. Yeah, everything after that is like chasing down unlocks and. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. So I didn't like this game. I felt mm. like it missed the point. Uh, about what is good about Spelunky by needlessly complicating it. I think that Spelunky is good because it's such a small number of systems that interact really, really intricately to create an incredible variety of possible scenarios. But like the number of things that can actually... The number of individual discrete events that can happen in a game of Spelunky is very, very narrow. But the way that those events can combine organically to create a larger variety of potential outcomes is incredibly large. Hmm. But there are, what, like 10 items in Spelunky and each zone has seven or eight types of enemy mm -hmm. across the entire game. And you can unlock shortcuts. That's, that's the only permanent progress you make. But like with Spelunky... It's all on player skill, uh, and those um, those shortcuts basically exist to let you practice a certain area to get to like understand how it works. And once you've gotten good at a, an area of Spelunky, you're just like you've you've got it. It's not threatening anymore, and you can move on to the next one. The only zone that's not like that is the the secret the secret one after the, the temple, which most players will just not even know exists. Hmm. This felt like it wanted to strap a bunch of extraneous systems onto Spelunky, like permanent progression and unlocks and sort of like, I guess like the Binding of Isaac style, even if you die, you carry something forward. Yeah. And I just think all of that made it worse. Hmm. especially because the way it was implemented wasn't even like the Binding of Isaac where you get an item and it's just like, oh, this is an item that we added that is in the pool now. Or Crypt of the Necrodancer also is like this. It's just like, this is an item and it has this effect, plus one health or like plus one damage or whatever. A lot of the stuff was percentage-based, so it was really hard for me to even evaluate between two items. Like if it, if it offered me two items that were the same type of item and you can carry one of them, and they both had percentage modifiers, I had no idea which one of those were, were was better than the other. Like, do I want one or, like, 7% slash damage or 5% okay. five, five fire boost? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know which one of those is better. And I guess I could play that's, this game a bunch and then learn that. a way to exercise player skill, though. Because, like, if you don't have a fire sword, you drop the item that but i don't you know no so here's the thing i don't know 
what the item pool is and whether there are just like a bunch of really good mm. fire items such that it is better for me to take the item that has the fire enchant on it because on average it will pay off more in the long run. And like that is just an information thing. I could play the game and learn all of that. But I think what makes Blunky good is that like you don't even need to worry about all of that. It's just got this incredible simplicity of design that manifests in such a way as to make the best game. And it just felt like this, like, I don't think this is a bad game at all. I just think, like, you think it it's doesn't bad understand. Spelunky? Yeah, I just think it's it's worse than Spelunky. Like, if you were to say, like, you could play this or you could play Spelunky, I would say I would like to play Spelunky. This feels like a bloated version of Spelunky. Hmm. Like, somebody thought, hey, we could make Spelunky better by adding, like, a bunch of extra systems into it. So, and I don't think that that leads to a better game. And I know, like, that's why you think it's a better game. Yeah, from my perspective... This is like somebody looked at Spelunky and said, hey, I could make a video game out of that. I, I don't think that you don't think Spelunky is a video game. I, I think that this game is a whole lot more gamey. I don't know if I agree with that. Hmm. I think that they're probably equally gamey, just in different ways. One, uh, because of its sort of venison-y flavor. <laughs> and <laughs> the other, because it's got more play in it. Yeah. But, like, I think that, like, I actually think that Spelunky is a really good example of what a game is, like, of a gamey game. Like, it's all about the systems that exist. I don't think quantity of systems leads to more of a video game. So, one counterpoint that I'd like to make is that if you had gone through and gotten another item pool, is that uh, there's very little that is just incremental progression when it comes to uh stuff in the game like there's no there's it's not like there's uh bow and slightly more better bow there's like bow and bow that doesn't have a like it doesn't arc with gravity and bow that yeah i saw uh, some of those sometimes deals damage based on your magic or bow that causes yeah. bleed or whatever um mm -hmm. i saw a bunch of different types of bows yeah uh there there is a thing that like there, there is just a strictly better version of every bow but it's like that. That is just a an upgrade onto your bow. Uh, but like, there's that's that's another thing about Spelunky, right? Is that there are no items that are straight upgrades, except for the the jetpack and the cape. And I guess right, but the, it's not like getting. I was gonna say the, the machete upgrade. to the. It's not like the uh, I don't know, like the the gun is a straight upgrade to anything else that you could have in spelunky or in cape lasers in spelunky i don't think that the gun the gun is definitely not always a straight upgrade huh. like it is usually the best weapon that you can have with you but like well yeah if you're trying to hit something that is both above and behind your head you gotta go the whip yeah or <laughs> or the the chris knife right that's the other one that's the, the upgrade mm. man chris knife is good so there are, there's, what, three uh, overarching progression mechanics. Uh, one is you, you just play the game, and based on how far you get, you fill up a, a, an experience bar. And whenever that fills up, you get another blessing added to the game. Hmm? You got a pack of cards, right? Oh, uh, yes, actually, in the arena mode. 
Yeah, you... that's I played. I played a lot of that. Yeah, that was, that was my primary mode of engaging with the game. Like huh. I, I, uh, I think that that mode is good. Um, like I like both. I, I think that the the main mode is more compelling for me. Anyway, it's interesting how neither of those modes influence each other at all. Yeah, the game didn't tell me that I was going into an arena mode. It was just like, hey, here's a portal. I mean, there's, and then I was like, how do I get out of this? There's that one crazy person who's telling you to. Um, I, you you get out of it by going back up the door. No, you can't. You're locked. I think you're locked. I mean, maybe you can. I just couldn't figure that out. But it locked me in until I died. I lasted oh, a long time in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. From but the like, arena landing, me there's a dude that's like, hey, this is the arena. Go in there if you want to fight a bunch of stuff. Or nope, don't. that is not what he says. He says, how did you turn that back on? Don't go near there. It's <laughs> dangerous. Which is like a video game coding for like, check this out. And then just drop me in. And I was like, oh, I guess I, I'm in a room where I got to fight a bunch of stuff now. It just kept going and going and going. I got through like, I don't know, 700 waves of enemies. Yeah. It's a really long time because it starts out so slow and so easy. And that was literally the first thing I did in that video game. Yep, like that, same here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had a bunch of fun just unlocking a bunch of stuff and going and choosing which cards I wanted. Yeah, I don't. I did not like the card unlock system at all. Huh. Uh, did you I, see that you can go in and just buy them with money? Yeah, but I I didn't like it. Huh. You got you got to play to get that money. That money doesn't just come to you for free. I, pre I like for unlocks. I prefer them being tied to doing specific things like in Isaac or like in even like not even in Crypt of the Necrodancer where it's just like you have to buy build up resources and buy them from the shop. I'd much rather have it tied to doing specific things. So like Binding of Isaac. Yeah, I like that that version of this the best. Hmm. Man, I, I, uh, I did play some Isaac. Didn't talk about it because it didn't feel worthwhile, but since we're bringing it up, finally got Platinum God hmm. after eight years. Uh, and that was actually because of a thing that I think is bad in Isaac, which was uh, a, I was missing the left hand, which you only get from encountering your boss randomly, mm. and I had not seen him in literally eight years of playing that game. Finally encountered him. Don't do that. That's bad. Don't don't hide like a hundred percent completion behind the rare spawn of a boss. <laughs> I don't know if Cave Blazers does that, but if it does, sh shame on uh, Cave Blazers. No. Um, I don't think so. There's a bunch of stuff that's like kill two bats with one arrow. Or yeah, that's like, fine. Uh, kill. Uh, those are achievement based. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. So I guess there are four progression mechanics. So there's the one that just uh, you play, and the more you play, the more blessings get added to the pool. And a blessing is like uh, things that you will find throughout the game that make it so that you're, I don't know, give you an extra double jump, or uh, make it so that you your the number of enemies you pierce with your arrows is increased by one and then there's the the achievement things uh that will unlock perks and there's some overlap like some of the achievements will unlock uh unlock clothing that you can wear uh, now the perks you can choose uh, the, the perks are mutations so before you start a run you go put on a perk that'll like make it so that your weapon deals your, your sword deals 125 percent damage but you can't equip magic items or your you can't eat food to heal and your health 
drains by one point every three seconds, but killing enemies uh, heals you, or uh, a bunch of things like that. Or like you start with this cool gun that can upgrade by crafting it into any other ranged weapon, but like you deal half as much melee damage. Um, and like I like those as ways to change the base game experience. Uh, and then there's there are some environmental puzzles where I don't know if you saw in the first level uh, there are these sigil things in the walls and if you hit it it'll light up. Uh, I did not. Uh, there's four or five of those in the first floor and if you get them all uh, a door will open up that takes you to an arena uh, and if you survive you unlock a I think these ones are called artifacts. There's, there's artifacts and relics and perks and blessings and and these artifacts are like I guess like major mutations, but you can turn any of them on. They're like what they are is they're skulls from the Halo franchise. Like you go out, you find them, and then from then on you can go into the menu and turn them on to make the game significantly harder in certain ways. But they're the the idols from Bastion. Uh, yes, yeah, just like that. Like, bosses have double health and deal double damage, but give twice the rewards or whatever. Uh, actually, I think there's one that is just bad, and I think there's one that's just good. But the rest of them are... I like that. No, no, I guess they're all pretty balanced. So I don't, I don't really have anything more to say about this. It's not, it's not a very, like, deep game in terms of ways you can talk about it for a long time, I feel. Unless you're going to get into, like, comparing specific items and play strategies, which is not something I can do. Hmm. But, I don't know. It's fine. I didn't love the visuals either. Like, they, they just feel like... the. This is just a style now that indie games go for. <laughs> and I'm so disinterested with it. So, I don't know. It's, I, I wouldn't say don't play it if this is the sort of game that you're into. If you want Spelunky, but... If you want a Spelunky that feels like a video game, play Cave Blazers. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm still waiting for Spelunky 2. Mm. I'm really curious what that's going to be. My guess is that it will just be Spelunky, but a new set of enemies and sort of areas. And you play as are... the main character's daughter. Yeah, but I'm thinking like it's not going to be like Spelunky, but they added a bunch of stuff. I'm guessing that it's going to be Spelunky, but like it's not going to... Like the stuff that was in the first one won't be in this one. It's not going to be plus like the original plus this mm. i'm guessing it's just going to be a completely new set of like 10 items and uh, i'm expecting five, it five to, zones i'm expecting it to be a game that exists entirely inside glitter mitten grove yeah that seems to be unlikely i don't <laughs> i don't think that that's going to happen mm. it'd be cool if it existed entirely within the first spelunky and you needed to <laughs> beat yama to unlock it jeez uh i mean people would just cheat engine it yep but i would i would respect that decision hmm. do you have any do you have any thoughts about this any wrap-up thoughts hmm. so what is the assignment for next episode what is the assignment for next episode this is uh this is one for me isn't it why don't you play alan wake i'm gonna play alan wake that's my assignment All right you're gonna play alan wake alan that's wake. a good game that's a good game you, and it is also very short. You can finish it in, I don't know, six or eight hours. 
What's the difference between Alan Wake and American Nightmare? Uh, American Nightmare is the sequel. Oh, cool. Yep. Alan Wake, the story of an author named Stephen King who goes to <laughs> the Pacific Northwest to a town called Twin Peaks, and mysterious stuff happens to him. I want to thank, I want to thank our, our Patreon backers. Yeah. Thank you, Patreon backers. If you like us talking about video games... If you listened to our last episode and liked us talking about Nier Automata, which I got a bunch of feedback that people did like, so good. A bunch of people hate Nier and were really happy that somebody was taking it down. So you're welcome, those people who told us that they appreciated it. You can you can go to patreon.com slash redpagespodcast and for $2 a month, get into our Slack where we'll bash on Nier even more. <laughs> or... We'll send or, you some... Uh, talk, Send you some cool things in the mail. Yeah, if you're back at a certain level, you'll get uh, quarterly physical rewards, which are cool. We're, we're in development process for the, the quarter at this point. We, we think we know what we're going to do. Got it nailed down. Got to start shipping those out. And I don't know. Anything else? Keep on chuckles time. Also, contact us at <laughs> redpagespodcast.com. Yeah, or uh, on Twitter at Red Pages Podcast. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for listening to this. This is a relatively short episode compared to our last couple, but I think uh, I think that's okay. Yeah, and uh, keep on Trucklestein.